Well, last Sunday, we looked at the classic conversation that Jesus had with his disciples about fear and anxiety. Jesus commanded his followers to not be afraid and to not worry about what we will eat or what we will wear, which is evidence of a lack of faith. And we said that the kind of worrying that Jesus mentioned specifically implies living in a state of suspense where we are doubting or being anxious about the future, which I think you would agree is a perfect description of our present situation as all of us are living in a state of suspense or what I've uh, decided to call lockdown limbo. We're all locked down now and waiting in limbo for what's going to happen. And as Christians, we know that we are not supposed to worry or be anxious or fearful about the future, but that's way easier said than done. And that's why I want to look at a passage with you today that serves as a natural follow-up of the passage that we looked at last week. We learned last week that we're not to worry, but today we're going to learn how not to worry. And so I want to invite you to take your Bibles and turn with me to Philippians chapter 4. Philippians chapter 4. And we're going to be looking at a very familiar passage, I assume, for most of you. And that's verses 6 through 9. Philippians chapter 4. Verses 6 through 9. Paul writes, Be anxious for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brethren, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is of good repute, if there is any excellence and if anything worthy of praise, dwell on these things. The things you've learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. Here at the end of his letter to the believers in the church in Philippi, Paul explained how we can experience God's peace in our hearts, in our minds, in the midst of trials and troubles and tribulations that we all face in life. Peace is the opposite of anxiety and fear. Peace, you could say, is the absence of mental and emotional stress or concern. It's a feeling of safety and protection based on our trust, our hope, our confidence in God. Notice two phrases in this text, and you may want to underline them or bracket them in your Bible, but notice it says in verse 7, and the peace of God, the peace of God which surpasses all comprehension, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. And then notice in verse 9 at the end, and the God of peace will be with you. The peace of God and the God of peace. That is what this passage is all about. And peace is one of the greatest blessings that God grants his people. In Psalm 29, 11, it says, the Lord will give strength to his people. The Lord will bless his people with peace. God blessed us 
or provided us with peace, first and foremost, by sending his son Jesus to die on the cross in our place so that those of us who were his sinful enemies could be reconciled to a holy God. Romans 5.1 says, therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. In Colossians chapter 1, verse 20, Paul said that through Christ, he reconciled all things to himself, having made peace through the blood of his cross. And so peace starts with knowing Jesus Christ. Now before Jesus died and rose again and ascended back to heaven, in order to comfort his followers, he promised to send them the Holy Spirit who would help them spread the message of salvation and live out all that he had taught them. One of the fruits that the Holy Spirit produces in us is peace. You know this, Galatians 5.22, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, and peace. And so the first thing we need to understand is that in order to experience the peace of God, we need to have peace with God through a relationship with Jesus Christ. God said there is no peace for the wicked. But the moment we acknowledge that we are wicked and repent of our sin and receive Jesus as our personal Lord and Savior, the Holy Spirit comes inside of us to live with us, and he begins to produce peace in our hearts and our minds. And so the more that our lives are controlled or ruled by the Holy Spirit, the more we'll experience God's peace. That's why Paul said in Ephesians 5, 18, do not be drunk with wine, but be filled or controlled, be under the influence of the Holy Spirit. In Colossians 3, 15, Paul said, let the peace of Christ rule in our hearts. And so while peace is a gift from God, in order for us to enjoy this divine blessing of peace, we need to yield our lives to the Spirit of Christ, and we need to obey the Word of Christ. Isaiah 32, 17 says this, the fruit of righteousness will be peace. Its effect will be quietness and confidence forever. Are you longing for peace right now? Do you desire that quietness and confidence that the Bible talks about? Well, to experience this quiet, peaceful confidence in our lives, we must do the right things. That's what righteousness, righteousness means. The fruit of righteousness or doing the right kinds of things that honor the Lord will bring peace and will cause quietness and confidence in our hearts forever. And so building on the foundation of peace laid by God the Father through his Son and through his Spirit, Paul here provided a list of some other things that we must do in order to experience God's peace. And in verses six through nine, he gave a series of practical exhortations that we need to heed if we're to enjoy God's promise of peace in Christ. You may notice there that there are four imperatives and all but one are present imperatives, which means that they are commands that we must follow continually or regularly or habitually. This is not something that we can just do once, one time or once in a while, but we need to be doing these things 
all the time. If we want to enjoy the promises of peace in these verses, we need to obey the principles of peace in these verses. And so here in this text, like a a skilled spiritual physician, Paul administered or applied the antidote for anxiety. And he wrote out for us three prescriptions for peace in a pandemic. Three prescriptions for peace in a pandemic. The first prescription is to pray. To pray. Notice verse 6. Paul says, be anxious for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God, and the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. So Paul begins by simply saying, hey, don't worry about anything. And this is the same exact command that Jesus gave to his disciples in the Sermon on the Mount back in Matthew Matthew chapter 6, verse 25, back in Luke chapter 12, which we looked at last week. And we learned last week that not only is worry a waste of time and energy because it doesn't change a single thing, more significantly, it exposes our lack of faith in God's promises and in God's power to care for us and to provide for us. And so when we're worrying, we're not trusting in or depending in God. What is the most basic way that we demonstrate our trust in God or our dependence on God? Prayer. Prayer is our declaration of dependence upon the Lord. And that's why Paul says, be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication. In other words, instead of worrying about things, we need to to pray about things. And nothing is too big or too small to bring to the Lord in prayer. Whether you're dealing with the painful loss of a loved one or the forgetful loss of your car keys, Talk to the Lord about it. Be specific. He knows exactly how you're feeling, what you're going through. And by the way, he knows exactly where your car keys are. Notice he says, be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving. With thanksgiving. And so whenever we pray about something that we're being tempted to worry about, we need to thank God for the opportunity to trust him. We need to thank God for the situation or the circumstance that we find ourselves in because we know whatever God has ordained for our lives is ultimately for our good and his glory. We need to thank him for being faithful to us in the past We need to thank him for our present blessings and we need to thank him that he knows the future and that we can trust him to take care of us no matter what the future holds. Some of you may have read that classic book, The Hiding Place by Corey Ten Boone, where she describes what she and her family went through during the Holocaust being captured by the Germans for hiding Jews and they were eventually put into uh, 
the concentration camps and the barracks in this particular concentration camp that Corey and her sister were in was infested with fleas. And Corey was tempted to complain about the fleas, and her sister said, hey, we need to thank God for the fleas. And Corey said, thank God for the fleas. And her sister said, yeah, because that's why the soldiers won't come into our barracks. And so we can continue to have our Bible studies undetected and uninterrupted. And so we need to be thankful for the fleas. I'm curious, has any of you thanked God for the coronavirus? Have you thanked God for this global pandemic that God is using for his glory and for our good? Paul would say, in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, be thankful for what you're experiencing right now. And notice he says there finally in that end of verse 6, let your requests be made known to God. After thanking God, we should confess our anxious thoughts to God and ask Him to forgive us for worrying. And then we can begin praying for whatever it is that we're worrying about or tempted to worry about. In everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. The, the idea here is that prayer should be pervasive in our lives, that we should live in an attitude of prayer, constantly bringing our request before his throne. That's what Paul said to the Thessalonians in 1 Thessalonians 5.17. He said, pray without ceasing in everything, give thanks, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Notice, Paul said to let your request be made known to God, not necessarily your friends. I appreciate Chuck Swindoll. You know I've mentioned him uh, numerous times in the past of one of the men, pastors and expositors, Bible teachers that I uh, have uh, really respected and been blessed by over the years, and uh, listen to what he says about this thought about letting your requests be made known to God and not your friends. He said, quote, we worry, we complain, we vent our frustrations, we become depressed, we recite our troubles to others around us, but the problem never gets solved. Why? What is it that we're missing? What is it that we're doing that keeps defeating us? We're talking but never praying. We spend all our time bringing our hurts and frustrations just to our friends instead of to the Lord as well. Not that he can't use our friends to help us, but going to them is no substitute for coming to him. In fact, going to our friends can become a subtle way of avoiding the Father and actually dealing with the problem. We say we're seeking help when what we're really seeking is another opportunity to vent our anger at the person who has hurt us and gain a little more sympathy. Could this be happening to you? Is there a particularly worrisome situation in your life right now? How many times already have you talked it out with friends? How about the Lord? 
Have you been as honest about your pain, desire, and need with God as you have been with your best friend? He says we rarely are. But the promise is here that if we choose not to worry or to be anxious, but instead pray with thanksgiving, making our requests known to God, notice it says, and the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. This is the promise. What is this peace of God? It's an inner tranquility, an inner serenity in our hearts as believers as we walk closely with God and we rely on Him to take care of our needs. This is the same peace that God Himself possesses. It's called the peace of God. And you think about this, in God's throne room in heaven, there is nothing but perfect peace, total serenity, total tranquility. No one's stressed out, no one's worried, no one's anxious, no one's afraid. And so God desires to give us that perfect peace, which he says, Paul says, surpasses all comprehension. In other words, unbelievers can't understand how we as believers can be so at peace in the midst of the difficult circumstances or, or awful tragedy that we are facing in our lives at any given time. And, and even we as believers, we can't explain the peace that we're experiencing in our hearts and our minds. It's, it's surprising even to us. There's an element of mystery about this peace. This is a supernatural peace. This is not natural. This is not normal. This is supernatural. But Paul promises that, that this peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Paul promised here that, the, that God's peace acts like a, a sentry or a, a squad of Roman soldiers who are assigned to protect or guard a certain place or a certain person. God's peace protects us and guards our hearts and our minds against things like anxiety attacks and phobias and despair and fear and depression. The idea in, in Paul's mind may have been like the members of the Praetorian Guard who took turns keeping Paul under constant Surveillance, as he was even writing this letter, this letter to the Philippians, this is what we call one of the prison epistles, and so he was under constant watch during his house arrest, and so he may have been likening God's peace to that, that, that God's peace remains constantly vigilant over his beloved children. Now we know in, in these modern times, we go to great lengths in an effort to experience peace of mind by guarding and protecting our lives and our stuff. We have alarm systems and guard dogs and floodlights and guard shacks and watchmen and security officers. And But even so, how much peace we experience doesn't depend on any of these things. Ultimately, it depends on whether we're praying or panicking. 
How are you doing right now? Do you find yourself panicking? Or do you find yourself praying maybe more than ever? See, the more we pray, the more peace that we'll have. I love 1 Peter 5, 7, where Peter tells us to cast all of our anxieties on him, on the Lord, because he cares for us. In other words, we need to learn to to turn our cares into prayers, our worries into words of supplication. And so I thought I'd ask you this morning, what what are some of the things that are worrying you right now? What are, what are some of the things that are weighing heavy on your heart and making you anxious or fearful? I'd encourage you to write them down. Make a list of everything that you're being tempted to worry about or you are worrying about and turn it into a prayer list and pray through it every day this next week. And commit to not talk to these things to anyone but God. I'm sure you're familiar with that old song, What a Friend We Have in Jesus. The words are very appropriate. What a friend we have in Jesus, all our sins and griefs to bear. What a privilege to carry everything to God in prayer. Oh, what peace we often forfeit. Oh, what needless pain we bear, all because we do not carry everything to God in prayer. Have we trials and temptations? Is there trouble anywhere? We should never be discouraged. Take it to the Lord in prayer. Can we find a friend so faithful who will all our sorrow share? Jesus knows our every weakness. Take it to the Lord in prayer. Are we weak and heavy laden, cumbered with a load of care? Precious Savior, still our refuge. Take it to the Lord in prayer. Do thy friends despise, forsake thee? Take it to the Lord in prayer. In his arms he'll take and shield thee. Thou wilt find a solace there. Blessed Savior, thou hast promised, thou wilt all our burdens bear. May we ever, Lord, be bringing all to thee in earnest prayer. I think that says exactly what Paul was saying here in these two verses. That we need to worry about nothing, but pray about everything. And so the first prescription for peace in a pandemic is to pray. But that's not all. There's something else we need to do, and that is to stay, to stay. Because sometimes, or maybe most of the time, after praying about something, and we say amen, we continue to think about it, and dwell on it, and mull it over in our minds, and the next thing you know, we're worrying about it again. And so it's not enough just to pray. We also need to stay. And that's what Paul says in the next verse, verse 8. He says, finally, brethren, whatever is true, 
Whatever is honorable, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is of good repute, if there is any excellence and if anything worthy of praise, dwell on these things. This verse is all about the thought life of a Christian. And every mature Christian knows that that the Christian life is mainly mental. We are what we think. And what goes on in our minds will inevitably come out in our lives. And so the battle against every, every sin in our lives, including worry and anxiety, is won or lost right up here in our minds. The key to godly living is godly thinking. And so if you want to live right, then we need to think about the right kinds of things. And so in this verse, Paul listed eight godly virtues on which we're to focus or to concentrate our minds. Notice he says, first of all, whatever is true or valid or reliable or honest or genuine or real. In other words, if it hasn't happened yet, then it's not true. And if it's not true, then don't dwell on it. This is often where we get ourselves in trouble, isn't it? We speculate about the future. We wonder what could happen or what might happen, and this what-if thinking robs us of peace and joy. How about you? Do you ever, do you ever blow things out of proportion by by jumping to conclusions or or maybe making a mountain out of a molehill? Are you always imagining the the worst case scenario? Paul says don't engage in any, any of these draining negative mind games. If it's not true, don't think about it. He goes on and says whatever is honorable, in other words, that which is not trivial or temporal or mundane, it's noble, it's morally attractive, it's worthy of respect. This word honorable was used elsewhere to describe uh, the dignified lifestyle of deacons and deaconesses and, and older men in the church. And Paul used this same word in 1 Timothy 3 and Titus 2. And so whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is right, he says, in other words, what is just or righteous, that which conforms to the standards of God's word, it meets God's approval. And also whatever is pure, whatever is holy or wholesome or undefiled, it's free from sin and impurity. And whatever is lovely, that which is admirable or agreeable to behold or to consider it, it wins others' admiration or affection. It brings people together rather than dividing them. These are the things Paul's thinking of here, I think, what promotes peace and harmony rather than conflict. And then he says, whatever is of good repute or of good report, this this is what is admirable, it's positive, it's constructive rather than negative and destructive. And then he says, if there is any excellence in other words, uh, moral excellence, what is, what is best, and if there's anything worthy of praise, in other words, this deserves to be commended or applauded. And he gets to the heart of the verse here. Dwell on these things. Literally think about these things. 
And the root word for dwell there is where we get our English word logarithm, which as you know is a math problem that requires sustained concentration to figure out. And so Paul says we need to think long and hard on these kinds of things. Martin Lloyd-Jones had some very interesting things to say about this whole matter of anxiety and particularly as he was commenting on the disciples' problem back in Matthew chapter 6, the passage we looked at last week. And he pointed out the disciples' problem was that they failed to think. They allowed themselves to be controlled by their circumstances. Listen to how he says it. Quote, he says, faith, according to our Lord's teaching in this paragraph in Matthew chapter 6, is primarily thinking. And the whole trouble with a man of little faith is that he does not think. He allows circumstances to bludgeon him. That is the real difficulty in life. Life comes to us with a club in its hand and strikes us up upon the head and we become incapable of thought, helpless and defeated. The way to avoid that is to think. Christian faith is essentially thinking. The trouble with most people, however, is they will not think. Instead of doing this, they sit down and ask, well, what is going to happen to me? What can I do? That is the absence of thought. It is surrender. It is defeat. Our Lord here is urging us to think and to think in a Christian manner. That is the very essence of faith. Faith, if you like, if you like Lloyd-Jones says, can be defined like this. It is a man insisting upon thinking when everything seems determined to bludgeon him and knock him down in an intellectual sense. The trouble with a person of little faith is that instead of controlling his own thought, his thought is being controlled by something else. And he goes round and round in circles. That is the essence of worry. That is not thought. That is the absence of thought. It is a failure to think. And so if you're battling with anxiety, if you're battling with worry, you need to think about what is right. And the more you think about what is right, the more peace you will enjoy. In other words, we need to control what we think. We can't say, well, I just can't help it. These thoughts come to my head and uh, these anxious and, and fearful thoughts, they just pop into my head. It's not my fault. And then I just start freaking out. Well, I love what Martin Luther said. He said, you can't keep birds from landing on your head, but you can keep them from making a nest in your hair. In other words, we need to learn to renew our minds, Romans 12, 2. We've been studying that in, in the book of Romans. Don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And what does that look like practically? Well, it begins by taking our thoughts captive and making them obey Christ. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 5. And so if a, if a sinful thought comes into our mind, whether it's a a, a greedy thought, a prideful thought, a lustful thought, an anxious thought. Rather than letting it take over our minds and 
take us captive. We need to take it over and we need to capture it and make it our slave and make it obey Christ. And so if a a wrong kind of thought comes into our mind, practically speaking, what what does that mean? How do we take that thought captive? Well, we need to immediately replace it with another thought. That could be a prayer, like we were just instructed to do when we start to worry. Instead of being anxious, we should pray. So you could pray, you could sing a song, you can quote a verse from God's word. The bottom line is you can't entertain sinful thoughts when you're meditating on God and his word, whether that's praying, singing, or quoting scripture or reading scripture. Psalm 119, 165 says, those who love your law have great peace. And Romans 8, 6 says, for the mind set on the flesh is death, but the mind set on the spirit is life and peace. Now having said all that, if I may, I want to add to this list and maybe not add to it, that's not what I'm doing. I'm maybe summarizing this list of things that we're to dwell on, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is of good repute, if there's anything excellence, of anything worthy of praise, well, who do all those things describe? They describe God. And the most fundamental, foundational thing that we must due to experience the peace of God from the God of peace is to keep our mind focused on God. We need to dwell on God. And that's exactly what Isaiah said in Isaiah 26, verse three. He said, you keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. Let me say that again, Isaiah 26, 3. You keep him in perfect peace. That sound good? You want to be that guy who's kept in perfect peace? Especially in the midst of this pandemic? How can you be that guy, be that gal? Well, you keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. There's an old hymn that I'm sure some of you are familiar with. It's called Like a River Glorious. We don't sing it very often these days, but I'll never forget when I was in college and the song leader was about to lead us in this hymn, Like a River Glorious, and he told us that this was the song that Jim Elliott and his four missionary friends sang the morning before they went out to meet the Alka Indians, which they were hoping was going to be a friendly encounter, which, as you know, ended up in their death. They were speared to death by these Indians that they were trying to reach with the gospel of Jesus Christ. But this was the song that they sang together before they went to be with Jesus. Like a river glorious is God's perfect peace. 
Overall victorious, in its bright increase. Perfect yet it floweth, fuller every day. Perfect yet it groweth, deeper all the way. Hidden in the hollow of his blessed hand, never a foe can follow, never a traitor stand. Not a surge of worry, not a shade of care, not a blast of hurry, touch the spirit there. Every joy or trial falleth from above, traced upon our dial by the Son of love. We may trust him fully, all for us to do. They who trust him wholly find him wholly true. And then the chorus goes like this. Stayed upon Jehovah, hearts are fully blessed, finding as he promised perfect peace and rest. And so if we want to experience God's perfect peace, we need to stay. Stay fixed on him. Stay focused on him. But there's one more part of the antidote for anxiety here in this text, one more prescription that Paul wrote out for us for peace, and that is to obey, to obey. Notice verse 9, the things you've learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. The fact that Paul mentions there the God of peace at the very end of that verse tells me that he's still thinking about peace. And so all these verses that we've been reading, verses 6, 7, 8, and 9, they're all talking about the peace of God from the God of peace. And so I love this last verse because it's so practical. You say, Pastor, I've, I've been praying I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm keeping my eyes fixed on Jesus. I'm staying in his presence and I'm staying focused on him. But, but, but I, I just, I, I, I got all this free time on my hands. I just, I just don't know what to do. And so, you know, I, I start to worry again. And Well, this is so practical. Not only do you need to pray, not only do you need to stay focused on the Lord, you need to do what God has told you to do. Especially in a time when your normal routine is disrupted and you're not quite sure what to do. Just do what you know God would want you to do. Just do the next right thing, whatever that might be. Which, by the way, keeps you from keeps you distracted, if you will, or keeps you focused, right, and, and doesn't leave a whole lot of free time for your mind to go haywire again. And so Paul says here, the things you've learned and received and heard and seen in me. Paul held himself up as a model for the believers in Philippi to follow. He had already said that in the previous chapter, verse 17, brethren. He said, join in following my example and observe those who walk according to the pattern you have in us. Paul would often tell his readers, follow me as I follow Christ. And the reason why he said that is because in the early days of the church, before scripture was completed or, or widely circulated, the, the beliefs and behaviors of Christianity were passed on through the words and examples of the apostles. 
And so those that sat under Paul's ministry learned what it meant to be a Christian by listening to him preach and by watching him live his life. He practiced what he preached. And so Paul exhorted the Philippians to practice what he preached and what he lived, to to do everything that they had heard him say or had seen him do. And notice the connection. He says, practice these things, and if you do, the God of peace will be with you. You see, when we don't do what we know we should do or we do what we know we shouldn't do, we feel guilty. We feel shame. We lack peace because we know we're not doing what we should be doing or we're doing something wrong. And so if you want to have peace, you need to practice the things that you've been taught, that you have heard, that you have observed in the lives of those who have shepherded you and mentored you and raised you, whether that's your parents or your pastors or your mentors, your disciplers. And just to make this really practical, in the remaining verses of this letter, we can see a few things that Paul modeled for the Philippians and modeled for us that we need to practice as well. Like being content with whatever God provides us. Being content with whatever God provides us. Notice verse 10. But I rejoice in the Lord greatly that now at last you revived your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned before, but you lacked opportunity. Now that I speak, not that I speak from want, for I have learned to be content in whatever circumstances I am. I know how to get along with humble means, and I also know how to live in prosperity. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of being filled and going hungry both of having abundance and suffering need. For some of you, that's very practical right now. Because you've been laid off, or your salary has been reduced, and you're wondering, how am I going to get along? Well, Paul by the grace of God, learned how to be content with whatever God provided him, whether it was a lot or a little. And so that's one thing that we can practice. Another thing that we can learn from Paul, something that we observe from his life, is that we need to give to others and trust God to meet our needs. We need to give to others and trust God to meet our needs. Notice verse 14 He says, you have done well to share with me in my affliction. You yourselves also know, Philippians, that at the first preaching of the gospel after I left Macedonia, no church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving but you alone. 
For even in Thessalonica, you sent a gift more than once for my needs. Not that I seek the gift itself, but I seek for the profit which increases to your account. But I have received everything in full and have an abundance. I'm amply supplied, having received from Epaphrodites what you have sent, a fragrant aroma, an acceptable sacrifice, well-pleasing to God. And this is the best part. Notice verse 19. And my God will supply all your needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. What was Paul saying there? Hey, you selflessly and sacrificially gave to support my ministry. And when no one else was giving, you guys continue to give and support the work of the Lord through me. And as a result, I'm confident that God is going to supply your needs according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. And so we can give to others and trust God to meet our needs. But there's one more thing here I want to point out that Paul modeled for us that we need to practice as well, and that is to rely on Christ to help us do all these things. To rely on Christ to help us do all these things. Notice verse 13, I skipped over it, but this is probably the most familiar verse in the entire letter that Paul wrote to the Philippians, I can do all things through him, through Christ, who strengthens me. In other words, all these things we're talking about today are not normal, they're not natural, they're supernatural as we mentioned earlier. It's not just the peace that is supernatural that we enjoy but it's the ability to do these things, to pray and to stay and to obey. These are all supernatural. We can't do these things in our own strength. But we need to do them in reliance on the person and work of Christ. Jesus is the only source of true peace. He was called the Prince of Peace. And in John 14, 27, Jesus said, peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Do not let your heart be troubled, nor let it be fearful. John 16, Jesus said, these things I've spoken to you so that in me you may have peace. In the world you have tribulation. You have pandemics. But take courage I have overcome the world. And so Jesus offered a supernatural, eternal peace that's independent of our circumstances or our surroundings. And so because of who Christ is and what Christ has done for us on the cross, we can experience that peace in our hearts and in our minds, even in the midst of trials and troubles and tribulations of life. In other words, to be able to do any of this stuff in order to apply these antidotes or these prescriptions, you need to have a relationship with Jesus Christ. And if you do, notice back in verse 9, the God of peace will be with you. Paul promised that all those who followed his example and lived a life of obedience would experience peace 
the peace of God. This phrase, the God of peace, was a favorite of the New Testament writers as they would wrap up their letter or their message. They would often mention this in a prayer. Romans 15, now the God of peace be with you all, amen. 1 Thessalonians 5, 23, now may the God of peace himself sanctify you entirely and may your spirit, soul, and body be preserved complete without blame at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. 2 Thessalonians 3.16, may the Lord of peace himself continually grant you peace in every circumstance. The Lord be with you all or the Lord be with y'all. And then I love Hebrews 13, verse 20. Now the God of peace, who brought up from the dead the great shepherd of the sheep through the blood of the eternal covenant, even Jesus our Lord, equip you in every good thing to do his will, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ, to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. You may have not been infected with the coronavirus, but we've all been affected by the coronavirus. And I think the main effect has been fear and anxiety. And what we need more than anything else right now is peace. And the way to experience that peace is to take these prescriptions. Pray, stay, and obey. And when these three exhortations are heeded, God's peace will flood our troubled soul and will draw us near to Him. And our hearts will be quieted, our minds will be comforted in the midst of this pandemic. When I originally taught this passage several years ago, you may remember that I shared a, an illustration that I came across in one of the commentaries I was reading, and I want to just close this morning by sharing with you again this illustration. I think it's so pointed to this text and really pointed to our time that we're living in right now. It goes like this, a number of years ago, a very rich man wanted a painting that would portray peace. He commissioned three artists to paint peaceful scenarios. After a month, the artists returned with their paintings completed. Each painting was placed in the foyer of the rich man's home, covered by a veil, waiting for the moment of revelation. The first artist unveiled his painting of a beautiful mountain scene. The mountains were covered with green aspens and spring flowers. The snow-capped majestic peaks rose up to meet a blue cloudless sky. The rich man said, I like it. This mountain scene is indeed peaceful. Then the second artist removed the cloth veil draped over his masterpiece. His painting was of a beautiful ocean view. The sand was crystal white, the sea was blue and tranquil, the sun was slowly setting in the sky as its reflection danced across the placid sea. 
In the center of the picture were two people relaxing in lawn chairs at sea's edge, their feet dangling in the water. The rich man was delighted. He said, I I love the beach. I love this. What a splendid portrayal of peace. A third artist reluctantly pulled the veil from his painting, and the rich man looked with puzzlement. This artist had painted a waterfall scene. In this scene, a raging river was falling hundreds of feet, crashing on the rocks below. The rich man said, well, how is this peaceful? I've stood beside a waterfall, and it's anything but peaceful. The sound of the water is deafening. All all I see is turbulence. Where's the peace? Then the third artist said, look closer, sir. Notice I painted the waterfall from the side, and if you look closely under the fall behind the water, you'll see a cleft in the rock. Do you see it? Leaning forward, the rich man replied, yes, I see it, and I also see a bird perched in that cleft. The artist responded, that's it, sir. That's the piece. In the midst of the noisy turbulence, the bird was fa- has found a peaceful place. That, my friend, is real peace. The ability to find peace in the midst of troubled chaos. I know all of us probably would prefer being in the mountains right now or being on the beach, enjoying some stress-free relaxation. But as the commentator went on to say, very seldom do we in the midst of stressful relationships and undaunting demands get to escape to the peaceful mountains or the tranquil sea. Like the waterfall scene, most of us live life in the midst of noise, rushing activity, turbulence, chaos, with things crashing down all around us. This realistic painting of peace brings good news because in the midst of trouble, Jesus is the cleft in the rock. We can find peace in him. He is the shelter in the midst of the storm. As we have all been ordered to shelter in place, We also need to remember that we've all been ordered to shelter in Christ. And that order came from not the president, not the judge of Montgomery County. That order came from the God of the universe. Not to shelter in place, but to shelter in Christ. And I want to encourage us all to remember that peace is not the absence of the coronavirus, but it's the presence of Christ in our lives. Let's pray. Lord, during this chaotic time in our world and in our lives, I want to pray that you would Bless us and keep us and make your face shine on us and be gracious to us and that you would lift up your countenance on us and give us peace.
We pray this in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ, the Prince of Peace. Amen.